0: Returning this morning to John chapter 11, if you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles for your use, as I've said on previous mornings. If you're new here or you're new to the Christian faith entirely and you don't have a Bible, um, we'd be happy to give you one. The Gospel of John is the fourth gospel. Each one of those gospels records the life of Jesus, and they're complementary in nature. And so the Gospel of John especially includes some things that are not found in the other gospels. And this morning we're considering John chapter 11, we'll be reading the first 44 verses of this story. It's the death of one of Jesus' friends, and it is incredible the way in which our Savior responds to this death. So John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, the Old Testament says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. This is His enduring Word, give attention to it now. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, "'Let us go to Judea again.' The disciples said to him, "'Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, "'and you are going there again?' Jesus answered, "'Are there not twelve hours in the day?' Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas the twin, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of Christ. May he bless it this morning. What is true about this passage, friends, is it seems like the timing is all off. The timing of what happens in this passage seems all off. And the time in question is raised very early in this passage when Jesus does not go to a friend who is dying. He receives word in time. He could have gone to his friend who was dying, but instead he didn't. Imagine this, you call me on the phone and you say, Pastor, my husband is dying in the hospital. If I were to say to you, give me a couple of days... You would say, Pastor, that's not right. We want you to come now. Please come. Why is the timing off? The answer to that question is, in fact, this passage. As strange as it may sound to your ears, if we can understand the timing of this passage, we can also understand what it is that it says to us about Jesus. Although I read the whole passage, most of what I'm going to say this morning, because my time is limited, it always feels like my time is way too limited, I'll be looking specifically at verses 21 through 26, when Jesus interacts with one of the sisters of the man who died. And he explains to her what it means for her and us to trust in him. And if that sounds a bit removed and this introduction doesn't quite catch you, as strongly as others might, let me ask you a couple of other things this morning. Where are the places in your life where the timing seems to be just off? What I don't mean is to refer to you if you're waiting for him to pop the question eventually. That's not the timing I'm talking about. Instead, I'm asking the question of timing where you're waiting for the Lord, for God to work in your life. For to ask it at the highest level, does it seem out of accord for you that the God who claims to be all-powerful is waiting to do the thing that you would think would bring Him greatest glory? Or to be rather practical? Are you telling God that your brother is dying and God is not giving his help now? Why is this timing off? As we walk through this passage, I want to think about two things about this timing. And they're very simple things. In fact, this whole sermon is very, very simple. The two things I want you to think about are the expectation and the realization. Those are two very easy words to remember. And by the end, I will tell you why those two words are so significant And understanding the timing of this passage and what it says about Jesus. First, this expectation. That comes throughout the beginning part of this passage, but is highlighted in verses 21 and 22. Jesus' friend, friend Lazarus is ill, very ill, and word is sent to Jesus that he should come quickly. He was sort of like the call you might receive if you have someone in the hospital, an elderly parent, and the call comes to you, and the call is you should come quickly because your parent is near death. You wouldn't wait around. Similarly, as I noted, if I'm your pastor, I'm not going to wait around to come to you in the hospital. I'm going to come as soon as I possibly can. But Jesus does not go. He waits He stays for two days. By the time he arrives at the grave, Lazarus has been dead for four whole days. This is hardly a a timely response to the expectation of this family. You can imagine how interesting the conversation is between Jesus and Martha then when Jesus finally comes. She's raising a double expectation in her mind. First, there is the expectation that Jesus would want to come. Why wouldn't he? She says, if you would have come, if you would have come, things would be different. Doesn't Jesus love his friend? Doesn't he care about his, this family? Why doesn't he answer? The expectation is that Jesus cares enough to show up in the hour of need. What went wrong? But secondly, below the surface, there's also the expectation in her words about what Jesus would do when he arrived. Martha believed that Jesus could heal her brother. He says, if you, She says, if you had been here, he would not have died. You could have healed him. Why does she say that? Because she knows that he has healed others. If you go back two chapters into chapter 9, here's the healing of the man born blind. A man who is blind from birth of all all the spectacular things that Jesus is able to do. Here it is. He takes a man who is born blind. His parents testify he has never seen in his entire life. And Jesus opens his eyes. Of course, Martha says, if you would have only come, Jesus, you could have healed our brother before he died. This is the expectation that not only Jesus loves us, but he will apply his power in a way that we need. So let me highlight this again. I'm belaboring it a bit, but that's okay. It may seem rather confusing to us. Why does Jesus not go right away? It would have been simple to heal this man. Jesus has the power to do it. Even more, Martha has confidence that Jesus is able to do it. Maybe in your mind you think it was because they didn't believe enough. If Martha had really believed, or Lazarus had really believed in Jesus, Jesus would have healed him. That's not the problem. She does believe. She goes even further. She confesses that if Jesus... Wants to, he can raise her brother from the dead now. He has the power to do that. That is incredible. That is an amazing power. There is no lack of confidence in Jesus here. It is not that she does not know who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. Instead, there is something else. Why doesn't Jesus act? Why doesn't he provide for the people he cares for and those that he is the ability to help? Why doesn't he help those in need? Verses 25 and 26 help us understand. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The answer to this question about the delay and the timing begins with another one of these I Am statements. If you've been here for previous sermons, you'll know that Jesus gives these I Am statements in chapter 6, verse 35, in chapter 8, verse 12, in chapter 10, verse 9, and 10, verse 11, where he compares himself to the shepherd and to the door. He will again in chapter 14, verse 6 say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he repeats an I am statement in chapter 15, verse 5. This is one of the very unique and powerful ways in which John reveals to us the reasons why we should be compelled to believe in Jesus. Remember, John, the gospel is written to convince you that Jesus is worthy of your confidence. Do not hang back. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Run to Jesus. John is arguing he is capable of bearing your trust. And the I am statements, one of the key ways in which John makes that argument, every time there is an I am statement, John is revealing something about the divinity of Jesus. And now he says in verse 24 here, or 25 rather, I am the resurrection and the life. What is Jesus revealing about himself here? Notice, as many have noted, that Jesus does not say, I bring life and I will bring your resurrection. No, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Small difference, but a notable difference. What's the notable difference? Jesus is internalizing the power to do things that are beyond our ability to really understand. That is, he has the ability to bring life and to bring real life in a way that no one else is capable. At the very beginning of the book of John, in John 1 verse 4, it says, in him, that is the word, was life and that life was the light of men. What John means there and here is that Jesus is the one who's uniquely capable of bringing life. In a world in which there is so much struggle and death, then and now, John is saying Jesus is the one who brings life and restoration of life. He brings hope where there is only darkness and pain. Jesus himself is the one who brings this life and this new life because he has given his life in our place As the Gospel of John unfolds, we read about Jesus going to Calvary, to the place of condemnation where life ended, where the Romans took life. Instead, Jesus gave his life there, and a few days later, brought to life again So that his claim that he brings life and new life, we see born out in history in his own death and life. And Jesus is not only the bringer of life and resurrection in the future, he was and is the one who brings that life and resurrection. He is the provider, he is the victor over death, not only in the future, but now and always. If that seems much, I want to remind you of two passages in Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. The Apostle Paul says that very specifically. That Jesus is the one through whom we have life and resurrection or life and new life. And this is what he is impressing upon Martha in verses 25 and 26. That he is the resurrection And the life. He is driving deep into her soul, into ours this morning, the reality that our Savior has the ability to bring that life and new life like no one else can. He has that power, He has that ability. As certain as He was standing before her, He had the power to bring that life again. And at the end of verse 25, into verse 26, Jesus gives two important implications of this power from Martha. And here is where I want you to really sit with me for a moment and understand this text. At the end of verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Hear this: whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, in just a little bit in this passage, we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That is truly remarkable. If I can tell you how remarkable it is, I would ask you not simply to think about your own experience. I am confident no one here has ever seen someone who is dead come back to life. It doesn't happen. You know that. Do you also know at the moment at which Jesus is speaking to, "...to Martha and Mary and the crowds and his disciples who are watching, no one then, as far as I can tell, had ever seen anyone else brought to life either." The idea that Jesus would bring Lazarus back to life is sort of passe in our minds, we know how the story goes. If you've been in church a while, you're like, Jesus says he is the resurrection and life. If you believe in me, you will never die. And we go like, sure, because the next thing that happens is that Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. And we know the end of the story. He dies and comes back to life. Of course Jesus is able to do that. Pause a moment And watch what happens in this passage from the eyes of those who had never seen it. And be amazed with the claim here. This is an incredible claim. That if whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It seems like a paradox that we could die and yet live. And not only does Jesus bring this life for Lazarus, but the Bible is full of the truth that Jesus brings this life for all those who believe in him. If I can put it very simply... The story of the scripture is that God is with his people always. When the people of Israel wrestled with the fear of entering the promised land, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, God says to them, I am with you. The psalmist applies the eternal presence of God to all times during our life. You remember Psalm 23 verse 4 where it says, even through the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear for I am with you. I am present with you. Or think of Romans 8 verses 38 and 39 where Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The very last book in the Bible in Revelation in four separate places, it talks about a second death which we, those who believe in Christ, are not subject to. This second death is the one that Jesus says here, we will never die. It is this eternal separation, hell itself. It is a separation from God and His goodness that Jesus has already endured for every single one of those who believe in Him. Jesus has taken that punishment upon Himself so that in the future I can say with confidence Not only will every single person who believes in Christ rise again, you will have life that never ends, but you will also never suffer a second death that is separation from your God. No matter what the future holds, those two things are absolutely true. Do you believe it? Though you may die, you shall live. You will rise again. And you will never suffer eternal estrangement from your God. I want you to really, really think about that carefully. Some of us who are older, I put myself in that category now that I've passed 50. And I'm getting the letters from AARP. Can you believe it? I think more about the rest of my life than I did when I was 30. 30, I thought about plans. 50, I'm thinking about how do I use my years well. For those of you who are even a little bit further on in life, more gray hair than I even have, you think about that end more often I'm guessing. And if you have a serious disease, maybe one your doctor says you'll have for the rest of your life, you think about that, don't you? about what your life is like. Maybe you're in a circumstance that as far as you can tell is never going to change. Well, here are a couple of things I want you to know are absolutely certain about your future. No matter what else happens in your life, Jesus assures Mary and Martha and all of us today, you will rise again into a world and a life that is absolutely perfect and you will never suffer Separation from your God. Does that encourage you this morning? Are you filled with joy for that reality? God holds it before you, and Jesus promises that in the moment in which this family grieves, as He also gives that to you. But if I can be so bold, that's not really the punch of this passage. <laughs> the punch comes in verse 26 where Jesus says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now what an incredibly strange thing to say at a moment at which these sisters were grieving the death of their brother. I've just introduced you to the idea that there is a second death in the Bible that as believers we will never die. Jesus is referring to that directly. He is telling us that the companionship of our God, that God with us, the one who was promised to come and who has come and continues to be with us by his Spirit, that promise is with us always. We are never separated from that in the life to come or in this life now. And this new life that God gives to us by the Spirit of Christ is a life that remains and endures and shall never pass away. So that this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I can say to you, even though there will come a day where your body will die, your spirit never will. There is never a moment where you will be separated from your Savior Jesus. As certainly as he has given you new life now, so he will preserve that life now and for eternity. You will never be gone. I know the fear of separation. Many many of us live in that fear, that our family will leave us, our spouse will leave us, that our friends will abandon us, and the reason we have those fears is because we've seen others who've experienced them, or maybe we've experienced them ourselves. But Jesus says, He will never leave those who belong to Him. There will never be separation. He will always be with us. In this life, in this, in this life through eternity. It's very interesting that Jesus makes this application, both for eternity and for now. For eternity, it gives us hope and confidence that we will rise again. For now, it gives us also a sense of boldness and courage, because in this life, we never have to fear separation from our Savior. The great fear of death is that separation, the reason we mourn is because of one we love so much. We're not going to eat Thanksgiving dinner with. For those of you who have experienced life and death recently, those holidays are so painful because of the place that we had set for the one who was so dear to us, that place is now empty. And Mary and Martha are grieving that. And Jesus' words, especially here, are meant to address that difficulty. Lazarus will rise again, but Jesus is with us always. Which brings me back to the question that I raised to you when I began this sermon this morning. Why the question of timing? Why does Jesus delay? Why doesn't Jesus just go right away? Why does he wait two days to leave and four days to go to the grave? At the beginning of this section and the end, there are two powerful indications why that would be the case. When Jesus explains to his disciples near the beginning of chapter 11 why Jesus delays, he tells his disciples... That he is delaying because he wants them to see the glory of God. At the end of this section, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, he returns to that idea. They had seen the glory of God. This is a parallel in many ways to chapter 9, where the question is raised about the blind man, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus' answer is, wrong question. There are plenty of places that address how sin comes into the world and all the terrible effects of sin, but that's not what I'm addressing here. Here I want you to see that this man was born blind so that you could see the glory of Christ as I heal him. I want you to see the power that I possess as I heal a man who for his entire life could not see. Chapter 11, listen to this raises our expectations of Jesus. If you hear nothing else that I tell you this morning, I want you to hear that. As the Gospel of John progresses, the Gospel writer is gradually raising our expectations of who Jesus is. Jesus can heal a man who is always blind. Amazing. Chapter 11, you want to see something? Jesus can raise someone who is dead. Jesus has the power not only to open eyes, he has the power to raise those who are dead. Imagine incredible, unbelievable, divine. There is no one like him. No one. And in those moments in your life, where you're wondering, what is God doing? Why is there this pause? In the moment when I'm crying out to the Lord, heal my wife, please. Why are you waiting, Lord? How could this possibly be good? Heal her, please. In whatever way your soul cries out, why the delay, Lord, chapter 11 helps. It is to glorify the power of Jesus Christ and for us to see, even if it is in a mysterious way, the incredible attractiveness of Jesus in his divinity. Someday the world's going to see that. You know that? The Bible says at that, that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of his name. May that come soon. But until that day, you know how Jesus is demonstrating his power? It certainly is through his word. But the lived experience, what most people will see about the power of Jesus Christ at work, comes. To the life of the people of God. It comes as people observe the incredible glory of our Savior Jesus as expressed in the lives of His people. And that might mean that you have to wait two days or four days or maybe even many more days for that power to be shown, maybe it will take until the time of your death and the resurrection in order for the power of Jesus to be fully seen. Or it may be that what the Lord is doing is exactly what He was doing in chapter 11 of John in your life. And that is, there is a pause in the timing of what the Lord is doing to bring greatest glory to our Savior Jesus. I want to note just one thing before I close this morning. Maybe that hits you as cruel. Maybe I wasn't supposed to say that, but I will. Maybe the delay in the Lord's coming strikes you as incredibly cruel. If the Lord really loved me, why does He wait? Let me reorient that a moment. Instead of thinking of that as cruel, that your life is filled with cruelty, let me suggest to you that if Jesus Christ is in the process of glorifying Himself in your life, even through this delay, that your life, instead of being a life of cruelty, is actually a life in which there is ultimate meaning. Because our Savior is doing something in your life that no one else could do. And He is using you for the purpose of exalting His Son in a way that is incredible, amazing, and makes your life way more than simply about you. Jesus intends to raise our expectations about Him this morning. May that be true. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as the one who's called to pray on behalf of your people this morning for us to pray together, I would confess my own disappointment often in the delay that I see in your work. I want you to work, and I want you to work now. I want you to work in the life of my wife. I want you to work in the life of many others that I see. We're asking for your healing and for your help. And yet you delay. Thank you for this promise that says, in the end, everything is made right. Even though we die, we shall live. But thank you even more for that second promise that we shall never die. That is, you are constantly with us. You have not abandoned us. You've not left us. But you're using us for a purpose beyond what we could even imagine or give us contentment in that that we would say with your people throughout history it is not me the christ who lives in me that i seek to exalt whatever is in our hearts that rebels against that and we confess lord that there are places because we're looking for things to be in the way that we desire they may be good desires we repent of that, Lord. It may be one of our deepest sins that we desire for things to be according to our own will. Instead, we ask that you would give us a humble and joyful and an expectant reliance upon our Savior Jesus. Grant us that, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.